Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Story Smack. Hello, my name is A. Kovacs, and I'm a founding partner at Empty Sun Entertainment. And I am Scott Ziegler, New York Times bestselling novelist. And if you're going to spew, spew in this. <laughs> this is episode 11 of Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. Today, we're talking about the 25th anniversary of the iconic comedy film Wayne's World. It has been a quarter century, ma'am, since this movie came out. Oof. There are people listening to this right now who have jobs. And, you know, significant others, possibly even children's who weren't even born when this movie came out, came out. Do you know what that makes us? No. It makes us old. Ooh. Yeah, it makes us very old. Does it make you as old as you sound when you're complaining about the shaky cam? Uh, yes, I believe it does. Because it's important to note, shaky cam did not exist when this movie came out in the heyday of Chuck Norris and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Therefore, it was a simpler time. It was mm. a happier time. So, a couple of updates before we begin. Uh, one, we are not in our offices. We are taking meetings in LA. I believe that's how they say that. It's a fancy, fancy so term. The ambient noise, I think, is a little different here. You might be, because we're in a, a hotel. Mm-hmm. trying to manage mm-hmm. this. Um, but that said, we also have brought on a, a, an engineer. Our, our Steve the Iceberg, Ricky Berg, is now engineering this podcast because people have rightfully sort of had problems with the levels and all that stuff. So we brought in our resident expert. Yeah. Yeah. We, we sort of had the problem figured out, but it's, you yeah. know, it takes us longer than it would take him, I'm sure. Exactly. And he and so we're, we're super happy to have him. So the only other things is I always give you a little bit of updates of what is coming in the next few weeks. If you want to watch along okay on february 24th we will be ranking all the wolverine movies from worst to best as we get ready to see logan when it hits theaters on march 3rd then the old people parade continues on march 3rd when we talk about the 30th anniversary of lethal freaking weapon 30th we're so old yeah so old and then on march 10th nostalgia month continues as we talk about the 20th Oh, 20, I'm sorry, 25th anniversary of Gladiator. So it's a lot of oldness going on, you guys. And then we are going to, on March 17th, we get back into modern times because we get big like a pickle. And we talk about the King Kong franchise as we ramp up for the release of Kong Skull yeah. Island, which we just saw the trailer when we saw John Wick 2. Yeah. And I shat myself. You were pretty excited. It was great. You weirdly put your hands up <laughs> in between y- your, like, like a f- maybe a foot from your face, kind of sort of gesture, like like you might be receiving communion from the screen or something. Like I had no idea what you were doing. A couple of seats over, and yeah. I look over. I'm like, "What are you? you just, asked, yeah, dude, you asked what me if something was wrong. Yeah, I know I'm because like, uh, no, it's Kong Skull Island. I love that you were in the theater gesticulating, like, "Hey guys, do you see this trailer? Oh my gosh! Because you were that excited about Keep it. Keep in mind, you guys, the very first movie I ever saw in a theater was the '76 King Kong. So uh, that 
to see this one, and I did not like the Peter Jackson King Kong very much. Uh, it had some good elements, but the trailer for Kong Skull Island looks like everything you could want out of a giant monster movie, and I'm quite, quite excited. Here's hoping. Here's yes. hoping. So what we're going to do right now is dive into our thoughts and memories of Wayne's World, which we watched again this mm-hmm. week, and then uh, we'll have a couple of fun trivia lists for you. So Sigler, tell me how it felt to know that you watched this movie when it came out 25 years ago in 1992. It's a little crazy because it's, as with all classic movies that you get to experience in your youth, and I think this is probably consistent for everybody listening, um, You know, feel free to share your thoughts with us in the comments at scottsigler.com slash podcast slash Wayne's World, uh, no apostrophe, just Wayne's World, is it's instant time travel. You know, you, yeah. you, this is, now you see Macy Mike Myers and it's weird to look at him. It's weird to look at Dana Carvey because you don't see, they're not as prevalent in the movie space. So you don't right, see them as they're the, getting old and you go back and look at this and like, that's when we were all fresh and scrubbed and clean and young and everything was, it, it just takes you back to that era. Um, so it's kind of, it, to me, it's kind of a, it's kind of a little bit of a, it's a fun mind fuck, but it's a mind fuck. You know, you sure. just, you, you are that age again when you watch that iconic movie. So it was a little trippy for me. And it's interesting because, of course, Wayne's World grew out of a skit on Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. which still happens today. Like we still get things transitioning. We have a lot of, uh, um, you know, super bad in in the early aughts and whatever the, the movies that come from and bridesmaids and all that stuff come and from that Lauren Michaels, Roxbury. yeah, uh, yeah, in Lauren Michaels era. But this is so incredibly set piecey in a way. Like I think it's sort of like Austin Powers. It's one of the things Mike Myers does well or did well, uh, where clearly this is a fictional Aurora, Illinois. Mm-hmm. This is. Uh, these guys don't look like everybody around them. Like their their, their um, engineering team, when they do their public access radio, the long blonde hair, the muscle tees, the mm-hmm. rocker dudes, those look like rocker dudes from the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. And Wayne and Garth look like characters a little bit, but you don't care because you're there for the ride and it's enjoyable. And that kind of helps make the, especially Dana Carvey's uh, portrayal of Garth, which is a little childlike, even though he's an adult, and mm-hmm. and a little uh, in his own world, even though he's not in his own world, uh, work out just fine. And you never hear stuff like you never meet the parents that the, my, that li- you know Wayne lives in their basement, and right. you don't ha- you don't know that they have a job. I mean, you know they eventually have a job. He has a nice collection of hairnets and name tags <laughs> from does, previous jobs, but he doesn't actually have a job he has to go to. Right, and neither does Garth, and neither do any of the engineers, and neither does Tina Carrera or Tia Carrera. Um, nobody has a real job, which is not how the real world works, right. and nobody cares. No, no viewer cares. So that was that's great. your kind of feelings about about the movie. Then? Uh, yeah, like I like that, and you're sort of saying it's it it it, it might have taken me back to when I first watched it, but I didn't think that's how the world existed then either. I mm-hmm. knew that this was a peek into, you know, a 90-minute peek into straight yeah. comedy. Yeah. yeah, And I'll tell you, there's two things that struck me also feelings-wise about how old this made me feel, and I'll get to the other one as we talk about the movie. But in this one, early on, as Wayne uh, breaks the fourth wall and starts talking directly to the audience, directly to us, he says, what I'd really like to do is do Wayne's World for a full time for a living. And that took me out of the movie at that moment because you realize there was no YouTube then. 
And actually, this movie is 10 years before YouTube even started. Maybe 15, depending on when you look at when YouTube started. So what these guys wanted to do with their silly public access cable show, where they're just goofing off in their basement, and they wanted to be able to do that for a living, now thousands of people are able to do for a living. So that was kind of a... That was a little thing. I mean, you know, just like we watched American Werewolf in London and all of the old rotary phones. Yeah. There's certain things you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. That used to be like this. And watching Wayne and Garth be like, if these bitches had YouTube, man, they would be home free. Which is interesting because while we both did that with those movies that both came out in the 80s, American Werewolf in London came out in 1981. Um, we don't do that. We, we recently watched Citizen Kane, which has all that rotary telephones and all that other stuff. And you don't think about it then because that feels less like part of your life that was in the before time before yeah, your reality yeah. it and was your... already something you only saw in the movies when you saw that movie right and so that's kind of an interesting thing because there, like you said at the top of the show there are people who weren't alive when this movie came out mm-hmm. who have those same feels as you but think like oh right but that was before that was just be- like we do <laughs> Their version of seeing uh, Wayne not being on YouTube is our version of watching Citizen Kane when they've got the gas lamp in the yeah. in, in the uh, in the office. And you guys, if you haven't seen it, when I say gas lamp, I don't mean like a little glass bowl with a tiny flame. It's a three prong pipe with open flame shooting out of it, and that's how they lit up the place. I'm like, that's cra- that's like a tenement building open flame. Let's burn down the place right. and kill seventy people. But it was people. Hearst Publishing. Hearst Publishing. Whatever. Yeah, it was rich, and everybody. Yeah. That's what everybody had back then. So it's interesting. I uh, went to college in the Midwest uh-huh. and was um, the crew of a public access TV show oh. for about about a year, and it is just like Wayne's World. Yeah. I, and I thought the same thing that when I first saw it, when Wayne's World first came out, uh, I was in St. Louis, and the show was called I'm Hep, mm-hmm. and it was a essentially... A, a guy whose last name was Hep, um, who was bombastic and know-it-all-y and like genuinely, ah, kids, you don't know anything today kind of guy who was <laughs> okay. doing a, a local um, person of interest kind of uh, show. Mm-hmm. And I ran the Chiron and the and part of the board. And um, it looked and feels exactly like Wayne's basement. It just totally does. And that plus, I came into, I came from the East Coast. I grew up in New York, but I went to college in St. Louis, which is Midwestern, mm-hmm. and obviously. And um, I was quite amazed by the cruising culture. That was not a thing that I thought still existed uh, in the 90s when okay. I was in school. And yet, people in St. Louis, that is what you do on a Friday or Saturday night. That's how you hang out with your, well, not uh, the only way, but. That's one way that you hang out with your friends and spend a lot of time, but not a lot of money. Okay. Just driving up and down. Driving up and down, whichever. And they do that. They cruise in the Mirthmobile a little bit, too. Yes. uh, In Wayne's World. And both of those things struck me exactly the same way this week as they did then. Sort of anachronistic for somebody else's life, but Mm -hmm. also uh, anachronistic or, or nostalgic for my own. All right. So let's uh, let's go through this movie. And we're just going to kind of go through. We jotted down our thoughts as we were watching. And are you ready to? Uh, you ready to get through that? Yeah. Although I, I, to be fair, I don't. I don't have a lot of deep thoughts about this. <laughs> except before I die, I'll jump right in. Before I die, I am going to have to drink the jelly out of a jelly donut with a cocktail straw. <laughs> cocktail straw. And I am going to have to make a monsters out of my donuts and have them slaughter each other. <laughs> eh, that doesn't feel very good at all. <laughs> Uh, I now I'm trying to eat a lot better 
I think yeah. I've talked about yeah, this in the yeah. podcast before, which is going to be completely destroyed because there has to be a coffee and cooler stat moment <laughs> very soon. Where we're going to have to go get donuts and coffee and just uh, pig out. Um, I, I was a, I was a little bothered by this movie, by the violence level of this movie. Tell me more. Well, Garth assaults a man with a homemade electrical weapon. He shocks him. That man may have died. We don't know. And yet, well, it's, Garth knew that yet it was it's safe. Yet it's comical and fun and lighthearted. And he shocks a man in the chest because that man will not let him by. To I be fair, I think that's shocks rage. him in the belly. Shocks him in the belly. Okay. Yeah. Shocks him in the belly. I mean, that's the thing. Garth is probably a serial killer, right? That he's got that childlike wonder in everything he says and does, and he's mm-hmm. pretty agreeable guy. But he's, you know, pouring concrete every night in his basement, covering up bodies. <laughs> like, he totally is. You notice you never see Garth's house. You never see Garth's house. That's correct. I think Garth might There's live in that car that. and live out of a storage locker with a lot of ice in it. Uh, Rob Lowe is such an awesome sleaze yeah. in this movie. There's a couple points about Rob Lowe coming up at the end in the list about this. But mm-hmm. he's just magnificent as the opportunistic sleazeball in it. Uh, I... He's he's very good. He's been playing variations of that part for that. Uh, that was his first comedy, actually. Did oh, you know was that? It? That no, was I his didn't. first comedy role, and he just killed it. I did think that Wayne and Garth got five thousand dollars each. They did for selling their cable, and I, not being very good with money or numbers or time, thought, you know what? I bet that's a lot of money in today's dollars. I looked it no. up. It's eighty six hundred dollars in yeah. today's dollars. Yeah, yeah. Still a good chunk of change. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. When you don't have a job and you want to buy that sweet, awesome axe. Yeah, yeah. it's true. But uh, you know, one of the things that I couldn't get over that didn't happen to me when I first watched Wayne's World. Mm-hmm. Um, Wayne is obviously the star of Wayne's World. He's Correct. also the star of the movie mm-hmm. uh, that we are watching. And he's the guy who gets the girl. And the girl is the uber hot Tia, Tia Carrera. Carrera. Yeah. Uh, and metal, she's, metal Tia Carrera. It was about as good as it got back right. then. Right. And she looks great. She's got the total 80s vibe going on. She's also running her business. She's making this band happen. And she's, she's you know, sort of a no-shit-taking kind of a lead singer for the band right. um, she is no question hot like fire mm-hmm. everybody in the movie thinks so yeah. Rob Lowe is that smarmy good looking dude Yeah. Wayne spoiler alert gets the girl <laughs> yes. wearing fucking mom jeans he wears mom <laughs> jeans through the entire movie they're kind of tickling his nipples they're so high they're gigantically high <laughs> and, and nobody and like that I couldn't get every time I saw his pants I was like dude dude little writers how about hip writers something something no, work on no. that every day doesn't matter doesn't matter he gets the babe he gets the, he gets well, that the was, deal uh, one of the cool things they caught about this is um, the metal culture of the 80s mm-hmm. which I know a little bit about but I wasn't totally immersed in it but mm-hmm. uh, the metal culture of the excuse, late 80s early 90s well, I guess I do know something about it I was in mm-hmm. metal bands at the time and uh, yeah you know like you always see like the guys with the strength the, the muscle shirts and the long hair like you were saying mm-hmm. the vast the vast majority of people show up to metal show back then were jeans, t-shirt, normal looking people. They weren't all the crazy spikes and the crazy, you know, Aquanet hair and all of that. That was there, but most of them, they would look like, they look like Wayne. It was just dudes in ball caps who right. love who loved metal, man. They loved right. it. Well, and girls like uh, Stacy, played by Lara Flynn Boyle, yeah. who was always in also great 80s gear, like lots of Jessica McClintock dresses. And, and every woman listening who was who was roughly a teenager in, uh-huh. in the 80s-ish were like, oh, my God, with the Aquanet bangs. Like all of us were like, oh, what were we thinking? <laughs> it was a little it was a little crazy. Um, let's see. I had a, one of my favorite lines in the movie. You don't. 
you forget you, the most iconic lines, of course, everybody knows. But when they're talking to Wayne and Arthur, talking to Rob Lowe about selling the show to him, and they're like, "We're between lawyers right now." <laughs> it's great, subtle, subtle shit. Um, here's the other part where I knew I'm fucking old as shit. I'm older than you know, dried up poop. Is they had the great scene where the two. Wayne and Garth are laying on the hood of the Garth mobile on mm-hmm. the windshield at the airport mm-hmm. and they're talking and then so that they can be there when the plane comes over just a few hundred feet above them. Mm-hmm. And my immediate reaction was not, oh my God, that's awesome. I got to go do that. I've got that. I bet that's a great experience. It was like, you know what? That's all fun and games. When the jet flies over right there, you're going to be, you're going to go deaf. You're going to be hard of hearing. You're going to regret that when you're 50. <laughs> like it was my immediate reaction. Like, Oh my God, I'm well, so old. And it's interesting because that again is, is, uh, well-established to be Aurora, Illinois, mm-hmm. but I went to school in St. Louis, and you can do... Th- I don't know if you can still do that at Lindbergh Field, but okay. in the late 80s, in 89 and 90 and 91, you could go to Lindbergh Field, or just outside Lindbergh Field, mm-hmm. and park your car and do exactly what they did. And it wasn't as loud as you would think. It was super windy, though, when because they're, they're not... Maybe they're closer in in Wayne's world than they were for us, but it's right before they land, so it's pretty close. It's pretty close. Uh, yeah, and it was just it was super fun to do, but everyone I know only only was outside their vehicle one time. And oh, then is that get, right? Yeah, and it's not. It wasn't for me. It wasn't about the noise. It was about the. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. island in frigid lake superior a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it ancestor by number one new york times best-selling author scott sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong available wherever you get your podcasts uh, the amount of um, dust up and little rocks and stuff, like, oh, like sand sweet. that would hit you in the face and the eye and the whatever because uh-huh. it was churning up so much air. And then you'd be like, well, this is fun. Let's do it inside the car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. So then we get to what at the time was a kind of revolutionary scene where they totally goofed on product placement. Mm-hmm. This was an not an expert on this, but I think product placement was still a relatively early thing in movies where people were, of course it goes back to soaps from square one and there was subtle product placement, but that was the age of movies where it was becoming more prevalent. You know, we're going to have the scene in front of the Pepsi machine. We're going to have the scene, you know, by the Coke billboard, et cetera, and starting to write these scenes into movies. And they just totally 
totally goofed on it. It had a whole scene where, you know, Garth is dressed up in the full Reebok gear, the shoes, the sweatshirt, yeah. the, the pants, everything. They're actually eating, holding up the boxes, Pizza Hut. Yeah. And then they, they even it. get the, the Nuprin, was it, back then? I forget oh, what there's. I have such a stress headache. Here, take these. Yeah, well, and, and they also goofed on commercials because whenever somebody's drinking a Pepsi or whatever in a commercial, they don't drink like normal people drink. They drink weirdly so that the logo is perfect yeah. facing towards the camera and they don't really touch their like stuff like that is awkward and they did all that too um, at the same time saying no we won't compromise our, our our artistic integrity and have no Noah's Arcade sponsor our show or yeah. whatever which is <laughs> ironic <laughs> it's great hey you know what I'd like to do what's that you'd like to find the guy that did it Rip is still beating hard out of his chest <laughs> and hold it in front of his face so he can see how black it is before he dies. Ed Bundy. Ed, Ed Bundy. Bundy. One of the one of the few cameos in this. Meatloaf had a cameo, mm -hmm. which is because Meatloaf was still a big deal at the time. What are you talking about? He's a big deal now. He's not as big of a deal now. He's Meatloaf. He's also lost weight, so he's not as big in more ways well, now than he's one. A meatball. And then we had the Terminator guy. Mm -hmm. Whoever played Terminator, real brief. So it's all the classic Saturday Night Live comedy stuff, all the brief bits. And I'm trying to remember my movie history. I felt like this was a pretty good playing of the tropes where this may be the first movie, I'm not sure, where they actually come out and where they talk to the security guard who gives them all of the foreshadowing for the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. And Wayne starts actually goose on that uh that security guard seemed to have a lot of information didn't he and then later it's a good thing that security guard had all that extraneous information yeah you know they and started, he was chris farley too yes which he was is nice which because... is chris farley's first movie role interesting very first movie role um does not stand up to the test of time in some ways in quite a lot of ways. In quite a lot of ways. But one, for example, they have a whole, probably a three-minute, two, three-minute segment where they do the Laverne and Shirley open. Mm -hmm. And Laverne oh, we and Shirley were... was already 10 or 15 years old by the time this came out. So now we're talking about, you know, there are people who have never seen Wayne's World who have kids and houses and shit. Yeah. No idea what they, just happened. If you watch it now and you don't know Laverne and Shirley, and who would know Laverne and Shirley? Right. It's a 50-year-old sitcom, right? Right. They're like, what the fuck is going? Why are they dancing in a beer bottle? What's happening? I know. Well, and gentle listeners, folks at home, following along at home, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, I know you like to listen to us. We are so old <laughs> because we were like, oh, yay, and Shlomino, sang the Shlomino, entire thing. We're going to do it. Give us a chance. We'll take it. Now you're getting a little taste of it here. But we were so thrilled and then immediately thought, oh, my God, we're so old. We, we we are so old. And the last thing I have to say, uh, ma'am, before we get into our uh, many lists. Oh, yes, I hear you have lists. Juicy stuff in the list. My favorite line of the movie. If Benjamin were an ice cream flavor, he'd be pralines and dick. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a difference between men and women, boys and girls. I totally, yeah. I totally forgot about that. Because yeah. I don't think that's dick in the good way. That's being a dick dick. Right. Yeah. Right. But right. okay, we're going to let so, that hey, one go. You have lists. I do, ma'am. I have lists as we clumsily segue away from that. First list is awesome because it comes from metalinjection.com. <laughs> oh, .net. I'm sorry, <laughs> Metal Injection. If there's any Metal Injection readers, I don't mean to offend, the five most metal things about Wayne's World on its 25th anniversary. So I think it's great that a hardcore metal site is talking about this movie. Number one, the film was directed by Penelope 
Spheris, and she had just completed work on another metal classic, The Decline of Western Civilization, Part 2, The Metal Years. She was picked up by Lauren Michaels to direct Wayne's World in quick, almost gorilla-like fashion. The entire film was shot in 32 days. Okay, that's not a super short amount of time. That, isn't that drastically short for a feature? 32 days? Not at all. Not huh. at all. That's okay. actually maybe even generous. Are you kidding me? No. I think you're crazy. I, I think, think that's why you don't direct. <laughs> we might have to write. We might have to write this down. But I think uh, it, we see if we can find at some point to talk about on the show. Um, this any is me typical piece of paper. That was a good sound effect. Yeah, yeah. It, Foley. Is there any way to look at um, to look up what is the typical shoot time for a feature film? Number two, and I disagree with this. Wayne's World showed headbanging to the rest of the world. Um, hello, headbangers ball. Hello. I'm pretty sure people knew what headbanging was already at that point. Because one of the most iconic scenes in Wayne's World is the guys driving around the car, headbanging to Queen. Apparently it was almost Guns N' Roses until a last minute change. But that's another story, which is in the other list. Um, it immortalized Bohemian Rhapsody to the point where the song came back on the Billboard charts 17 years after its release. Wow. Yeah, so it was Are a Billboard charts still a thing? Or is that yet another Yes, no, they're 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 song. still a thing, but a lot like Amazon charts or New York Times bestseller charts, they're much more complicated now. Back then it was how many units were sold, certain stores reported because they didn't have scanner technology at that point to report mm-hmm. back in. So there were 50, 100 stores across the country that would report in, and you would get your, your billboard chart. Now, they have to track internet plays, streaming plays, uh, 99 sure. cent buys, and how does that factor into the album? It's, it's very complicated. This I was very happy to find. Number three, we watched Dana Carvey play the drums in the music store. Right. And I made a note, look up if Dana Carvey was actually playing the drums. Sure. Dana Carvey was actually playing. That's him playing the drums. Yeah. And you, it's interesting, because you, you see so often, you see actors playing musicians mm-hmm. and they can fake it for 10 seconds or whatever. Like I don't play the piano, but I have in the past, I took piano lessons so I okay. could play six bars of, of some, you know, for a lease or something, right. but right. you can't groove. And so after like 10 seconds or so, Dana Carvey grooves, like he gets that thousand yard drummer stare oh, and, yeah. and is just jamming. And then the nice thing about it is that like, there's this, y- you think of it and it's actually truly Dana Carvey doing like, it's not Garth moment. It's a Dana Carvey moment, but mm-hmm. you don't see that because he's dressed as Garth and everything else. But then at the end, he's still sitting behind the kit and he, and he takes his, um, he takes his drumstick and like very awkwardly, like I might do sitting behind the kit, like taps the hi hat. Like, <laughs> and you're Dinky. like, oh, now he's back. Now he's back <laughs> now to guard. He's come back to guard. Uh, number four, Black Sabbath of God's here. I'm not even sure I understand this point, but if you're hardcore metalheads, I will uh, I will mention it. You ever watch a film and almost leap out of your chair when you hear your metal jam suddenly come on the silver screen? That's what happens when Time Machine off Black Sabbath's new album, Dehumanizer, that was Ronnie James Dio's return to Sabbath. It was all over the radio at the time, but a very happy surprise found in the film. Number five, this is my favorite. Real life metalheads were casted. This is my favorite because you got to, I'll spell out these guys' names and some of the names of the bands because 80s metal or late 80s, 90s metal and late 90s rap have something very much in common, which is if you want to be hip, spell the words wrong. Right? So instead of metal heads, it's H-E-A-D-Z-Z-Z. Oh my God, they're so hip. So let's see. 
One of the best fictional rocker acts next to Lone Rangers and Spinal Tap was Crucial Taunt. Members included Mark Ferrari, who played with acts like Keel, Cold Sweat, even guessed it on a so band. So Crucial t- Taunt is T. Tia Carrera's band. Correct. Yeah. Crucial Taunt is Tia Carrera's band. Anthony Fox, a beautiful creature, spelled F-O-C-X. Right. That's, of course, how you would spell Fox. And he played with Alice Cooper. And then there was George Foster of Reckless, who also works with Rock School in California, R-O-X-S-K-O-O-L, <laughs> Rocks School. That is our metal injection list. Uh, we'll include a link of that, a link to that in the show notes at scottsigler.com slash podcast slash Wayne's World, but you already know that. Now, if you will excuse me, we're going to go back through... <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> we were going to go back through some other one. This thing was, uh, was shocking in its profitability. It made $100 million at the box office. Mm-hmm. A hundred million back, way back then. That is, gosh, that's going to be about 165, 170 million in today's dollars. According to Dana Carvey, this is from USA Today list. We'll rip through this. It's uh, Garf was inspired by his brother, Brad, an engineer who built the first wire wrapped video toaster editing tool. Oh, wow. That's old school. Yeah, that's... First digitization of video. Uh, well, then to... that's one of the first ones that you could get as a consumer as well. Oh, right, right. Mm-hmm. In Wayne's World 2, he wears a video toaster t-shirt. Nice, nice, nice. The movie, as we mentioned, marked uh, Chris Farley's feature film debut, who went on to become a huge, huge star, and he was a fat guy in a little coat. Mm, he and was. There's only one thing we need to remember about him. In a van down him. by the river. In a van down by the river. But fat guy in a little coat was uh, was amazing. Hosting a cable access show was a lifelong dream of Myers, hence the Wayne's World show within a show. Number six. <laughs> Myers, I thought this when I watched it. I, was, I wanted to know if I could look it up. Thank you for advancing it. Myers and Carvey improvised dialogue when they're lying on the hood of the car, like the line, did you ever find Bugs Bunny attractive when he puts on a dress and played a girl bunny? <laughs> they completely improvised that whole thing. Uh, number 10 on this list that we're zipping through. Tia Carrera turned down a role on Baywatch to play this movie. Oh, wow. Good for her. Yeah. I don't know. Though. How do you think that may have... Because t- Baywatch was huge and sure. it launched Pamela Anderson's career and a couple other people had decent careers coming out of Baywatch. Of course. Do you think she would have been a bigger star doing Baywatch it, or a bigger star doing this? It sort of depends on whether or not she had a role like Pamela Anderson's or she was just a recurring character for three episodes or something. We don't know. I see. I see. Wayne's World is to this date the highest grossing SNL sketch turned movie. Interesting. You know how I mentioned it was a hundred million the box office? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It only cost fourteen million to make. Interesting. And they were shot. This caught everybody off guard. They just thought they're going to throw out a movie, hopefully make some money back. Everything fine. Wayne's World was number one in its opening weekend in '92, where it brought in eighteen million dollars. It became the eight number eight movie of the whole year, just behind The Bodyguard. And let's see. Oh, my God. This, you forget about this. Number 16. Saturday Night Live producer Lauren Michaels told Spheris, the director, she could hire Rob Lowe to play TV producer Benjamin Oliver, quote, really cheap because he can't get a job, end quote, <laughs> after the actor's sex tape scandal. Which was right. Right. So he de- he gets a departure from his normal, he, you know, teen heartthrob mm-hmm. roles, uh, St. Elmo's Fire and whatever sort of roles, to do this, which actually turns into... An incredibly uh, varied career from there for him because he's still that straight. He's still that same guy. When he was on Parks and Rec, he was this sort of great-looking, straight man-ish guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a little absurd 
for comedic effect and he did it extraordinarily well but he was very much and so and also in um uh, uh the austin powers movie sort of the same kind of thing right and let's see number 17 uh tia Carrere sings rock and roll music in the movie did you know that she has won grammys for her hawaiian music I do now. You certainly do now. You certainly do now. Pick one more on this list, sir. One more on this list. Okay. We have to... uh... This is important. Give me one second. Dum dum. Robert Patrick was the the star of it. That was who it was. Uh, You you have to explain that. So, Robert, there's a moment where Garth and Wayne get pulled over. Or, no, Wayne Wayne gets gets pulled pulled over. over. Yeah. And the police officer storms up. And he rolls down the window. He's like, hello, officer. And it's Robert Patrick as the Terminator, the mm-hmm. second Terminator. Have you seen this boy? <laughs> Wayne peels up. The last one I will mention is this. Uh, Myers did not want, he did not want Spheres to helm Wayne's World 2 because the two had creative differences. And Myers was the producer at that point, so he did not hire her. She felt better about it after the sequel bonded at the box office, making $48 million compared to the first movie's $121 million. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. And you sort of get, like, Mike Myers, for all intents and purposes, is an auteur, right? He understands his particular brand of what he does. Mm-hmm. But, you know, his his career, and I am saying this from a person who, from the perspective of a person who has made zero movies. Yes. Um, so I, all of his movies are better than all of mine. Mm-hmm. But uh, that sort of bears out. The more creative control he has, sometimes, like the guru, goes super south. Like it falls apart and doesn't quite work. Okay. But when he's reined in and when he's managed from a right i understand you really well but i can be the connection between you and the rest of the world you get austin powers you get wayne's world you get things like that certainly he's had successes that are completely under his control Mm -hmm. but but i'm not so sure he's made bigger movies than wayne's world and austin powers no austin powers of course huge but it's always interesting to see something like this they catch lightning in a bottle, right? $14 million movie, 32-day shoot. Great. Let's throw this out there, grab some quick cash, people get a good laugh, and go home. And it turns into an absolute juggernaut, the number eight movie of the whole year, highest grossing SNL sketch movie ever. And you would think that everybody involved would be smart enough to go, well, I'm not crazy about working with Spears, but that would go, that was gold. This combination of talent did exceptionally well. And then what happens to your brain when you go, I'm going to now get different talent and go make it even better? Well, I mean, sometimes that works. Sometimes, Uh you know, it's good and you can make it better. But often what and and I I feel a little awkward talking to a creative uh, and saying this often the creative sees it in their head one way Mm -hmm. and and they cannot be convinced that the world cannot work that way. They cannot be convinced that they don't know best. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it happen, right? It happens so, to me all the time. I know. Yeah. And, and, and you are often correct. Mm-hmm. But the answer is not great. So the first time we make a Scott Sigler story into a movie, you should direct. Because you don't know anything about directing. The answer might be in the real world, if you cannot let go of your baby, Mm -hmm. that's fine. We'll go and make somebody else's baby. I guess uh, from our world, it would be more applicable to we get, say we get a new editor. 
uh, for my books, mm-hmm. and I'm not crazy about the new editor. Let's throw Trisha under the bus, our current editor. We're, Trisha's our current editor, and I love working with her. She's great. Let's say we were able to make gr- a cool book together, but I didn't j- I didn't click with her, I didn't like her input, et cetera, and it was more of a battle to get the book out. But then the book goes on to hit number one the New York Times bestseller list and is huge, and everybody's dying for book number two because everybody loves that style of story that I put out. At that point, now here I am all flush with success and my number one New York Times bestseller and I'm awesome and my pants come up to my nipples just like mm-hmm. Mike Myers. Mm-hmm. I'm the like, uh, publisher, I want another editor. That would be a comparable thing where I would I would like to think that I would stop and go, okay, working with that person isn't the best thing in the world, but this combination of talent, this team wins games and I'm going to continue to play with this team. Right. You, you would like to hope you would do that. I would like to hope you would do that too. Yeah. Uh, and and evidence suggests that could go either way. Mm-hmm. You could be like, it could have been like, great, we got to number one. We made, you know, everybody made millions of ducats. We could have made 10 times that much yeah. if only people would have listened to me. Right. And now I have the force of will to go back and say, right, if you want to do another one, I'm totally down. This time I've proven myself and I'm sure. going to do it my way. And what do you do if you're the publisher? Do you say like, well... I mean, this is a this is gold. We're going to put it out there, even if it doesn't do this well. It's going to do pretty well. Sure. So sure, we'll do that. I think it's a mistake, but you try, but you don't try hard. So hopefully, you do. Hopefully, every creative can understand that there's a difference between your individual story and or your individual art and mass consumption of that thing. Those are different things with different skill right. sets. Right. But that doesn't always happen. And. We um, we don't really have any examples off the top of our head of people changing the team and then going on to much higher success with a new team, which I'm sure that happens as well. But that's a, that's a, that's our jibber jab, I think. Yeah. About this. So that is our show for this week. If you have questions for Scott Sigler or for me, or if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on a future episode of Story Smack, email info at emptyset.com. Thank you so much for those of you who have done that. We've gotten a lot of great suggestions. Somebody would like us to watch Kill Bill, uh, oh, that, which yes. would be great. Of yes. course, we've had several requests for Aliens and, and those movies uh, because people know that these are things that that you love and would love to hear your take on it. Can I ask a question? Sure. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this, if you would comment at scottsegler.com slash podcast slash Wayne's World, I'm curious if you would like to hear a live watch along of Aliens. Mm, and then you can queue up aliens. We'll tell you exactly when to start, and you can hear my jibber jab through the whole thing. Kind of like see, a director's comment or a, yes, a viewer commentary. A viewer's yeah. commentary. If you want to hear me truly geek out in the world, that's the jam. Yeah. So you can find us both online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram, and his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I'm a real girl on Twitter and a.real.girl on Instagram. You can find us online at scottsigler.com slash storiesmack. We would really love to see your comments there about aliens or anything else. Mm-hmm. And you can always find Scott Sigler audiobooks on iTunes. Search Scott Sigler audiobooks and subscribe. You'll get a free audio episode every Sunday of whatever our book is. Right now it's pandemic and a big hit of Story Smack every Friday. And next week we are officially too old for this shit. And we, so why don't you guys rewatch Lethal Weapon and join us for that conversation. And if you have never seen Lethal Weapon, oh. son, 
daughter, son, person, ma'am, sirs, get on that. It's It does stand the test of time. It's fantastic. Gary Busey's best work. Okay, okay. Yeah. Joe Pesci, maybe. Well, no, not Joe Pesci's, but one it's, of Joe Pesci's great it's, comedy it, It's works. probably his most iconic role, I have yeah. to think, even yeah. though, you know, uh, Raging Bull and shit like that, uh, right? Uh, Was that right? Uh, no, um... I, I think he's a much better Goodfellas casino. Kind oh, of a, yeah, yeah. It's, hard, it's hard to say. Yeah. So I think that's our show for this week. Thank you very much, Scott Sigler. You guys who are listening to our new ambient noise, thank you so much. We'll be back in the lair again next week. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.